You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. Maybe you've heard the joke that a vegan, a crossfitter, and a realtor went into a bar. And we all knew that because within two minutes, they told everyone. <laughs> right? The joke's even more fun if you have a friend who's a realtor to say real a tour and watch them get all fussy on you, right? Anyway, uh, what, what is the joke about? The joke is about that, that we're all evangelistic about something, meaning there's something that we find really good and wonderful and we want to tell everyone about it. Maybe you've discovered a new restaurant and that week you tell everyone. Right? And you loved it. Or maybe it's a show on Netflix that you've been binging and you love it. You tell everyone about that. Maybe it's a diet that's worked for you. You tell everyone. Maybe it's an exercise regimen, like, oh, CrossFitters, right? And they tell everyone, right? Maybe it's your politics or a concern you have, a solution that you see, or maybe it's a brand of shoes. Okay, so, uh, recently, I went to a physical therapist. We have several great ones in our congregation. Uh, went to the one I've been going to for a while and um, went to him because my foot has started hurting for no good reason. And no, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but nonetheless, so I start going to him. And while I'm there and he's giving me some exercise to do and all that, and, and he starts to talk about the shoes I wear. Now, Lord, have mercy, I wear chucks. I put insoles in them, shut up, right? So, but, and he's like, that might be the problem. I'm like, that's not changing. And so, so there's a, uh, another patient of his, some old guy who's there because stuff in his life hurts and he's getting PT and he comes over and he starts getting evangelistic about his shoes. These are the best shoes. It's like walking on clouds and every nurse I know wears them. I'm like, okay, you're old. And then I, they had a mirror there, and I looked in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. My foot hurts for no good reason. I'm gray as anything, and I'm having conversations about shoes at the PT. I'm old. Dang it. When did that happen? But here the guy is being evangelistic about his shoes. There is something you are evangelistic about. Here's the thing. What if you discovered the most valuable thing in all human history? Infinite bacon for all. Right? Like, you'd want to tell people, right? It's crispy. It's already uh, beautiful. Or what about a way to eliminate all cats? Like we would just, uh, I mean, I'd be evangelistic like that. Well, okay, let's be serious. Let's be serious. How about this? What if you discovered the cure to cancer? Would you be like, you would be like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell everyone about this. This is awesome. You'd love it. You'd be proud of it. You'd share it. That would be your natural response. And as we start in the book of Romans here, what we're going to find is that Paul has discovered the most amazing thing in all human history, the gospel. It is the centerpiece of human history. It is what history is all about. It is what life is all about. It's the secret to life. It's the secret to eternity. It is our deepest need. It is the radiant gospel. And what he's going to do in the book of Romans is put the radiant gospel on display in three ways. That the gospel is glorious in and of itself. It radiates gloriously. It's beautiful. But it's also supposed to radiate in us impact us. And then it's supposed to radiate out of us that we would be evangelistic and share it with everyone else. Or another way of saying that is that he wants us to love the gospel, live the gospel, let loose the gospel. 
That's what Romans is all about. But I am getting ahead of myself a little bit. Because before we dig in too much, it's my habit that whenever we start a new book of the Bible, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory, the history behind it. So here's how that went down. We got to start out at Pentecost, actually. Remember, Jesus was crucified, rose again on the third day. Fifty days later was the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. It was a Jewish celebration. Jews from around the world, not all Jews lived in Israel. They lived in other countries. They spoke other languages. They would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church for the very first time. And when that happened, what, what happened next was that the disciples, the believers in Christ, started speaking in languages they didn't know, but the languages that were spoken by those Jewish pilgrims that were in town from their other countries, those people heard the gospel in their own native language, even though the speakers didn't know the language. And what Acts 2.10 tells us is that specifically there were Jews there from Rome. Because there was a large Jewish colony in the city of Rome. And so evidently some Jews came to faith in Christ and took the gospel back with them and started presumably a, a Jewish house church in the city of Rome. Now as time would pass, I've got to give you some details because uh, this will be important to the book of Romans. As time passed, uh, some Gentiles in Rome became Christians. Gentile just means they're not Jews, Okay. And there was racial animosity between Gentiles and Jews and back and forth. But one of the questions that would come up is this. When a Gentile, when a non-Jew comes to faith in Christ, do you have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian? That would be a big question in the early church. So there'd be turmoil over that. Uh, Plus, then there are plenty of Jews who are rejecting Christ, saying that's, no, he's a heretic, not the Messiah. So it causes unrest in Rome to the degree that the emperor Claudius kicked all Jews out of Rome. Like, you're Jewish, you're out. Kicks them all out in uh, 49 AD. That was his uh, solution. And it was it was written in history. It was because of the conflict over Christos, which was a misspelling of the Latin Christos, Christ. That's what it was about. So they all have to leave. Now later, uh, some Jewish Christians would filter back, and now you have this predominantly Gentile church, but you got Jews mixed in, and tensions would develop because you have these law-observing Jews. And by law, I mean uh, the Jewish ceremonial law, like the kosher diet, you can't eat pork, right? Things like that. And then you have these Gentile Christians who like bacon, And if I can follow Jesus and eat bacon, Lord have mercy, that's going to happen, right? And so now this conflict is developing in the church there. How can they live together in harmony? And there'll be questions that will come up. Like, are there going to be two paths of salvation, one for Jews and one for Gentiles, or just one path of salvation? Will there be two churches, one for Jews, one for Gentiles, or just one church? And then also the fact that it, it seems like By and large, not all, but most of the Jews were rejecting Jesus. How does that factor into God's plan for history in the church? I give you all that fair warning, okay? When we get to Romans 9 through 11, it's going to be all about Jews and Gentiles. We're going to spend three chapters, many sermons on Jews and Gentiles, right? Just buckle in. It's going to be a bumpy ride. But you'll see it all throughout the book. So I wanted you to have the backstory there. 
Now, Paul knows some of these things. But here's the difference. When Paul writes letters in the New Testament, usually he's writing to a church that he planted or he's visited. He's never been to Rome when he writes to them. Now, he's heard some of the Jew-Gentile conflict, and so you'll see that come throughout the letter. But by and large, he doesn't know about it. Nonetheless, this is the capital of the empire. And he wants the radiant gospel to take root there. That would be so cool. And so this is what he writes to them about. The radiant gospel, that it, it radiates gloriously, it radiates in us, it radiates out of us. Love it, live it, let it loose. That's what he'll write about. Now, as the last part of that, let it loose, Paul does have other plans. He writes this on his third missionary journey. Okay, In fact, let me show you that right here. So here's his third journey, and you see he's come from Jerusalem in the lower right. Well, if you go above that, then there's Antioch. That's where he started. And he works through churches he's planted. And he goes over across the Aegean Sea down to the Greek peninsula in Corinth. Remember, we just studied 2 Corinthians, and he was writing that letter on the way to Corinth. And when he got there, he spent three months there, and it was from there he wrote to the Christians in Rome. Now, he's planning this fourth missionary journey where he wants to go to Rome, you see in the upper left, and then beyond, we'll read in Romans 15, he wants to get to Spain. He he feels like he's saturated the eastern part of the empire that you see there. He wants to get west with the gospel. That's what he is planning. But first, remember he's done this collection for the poor, starving Christians in Jerusalem. So first he has to go back, uh, kind of backtrack and get down to Jerusalem to deliver that offering. But when he gets to Jerusalem, he gets arrested. It's shady. There's an attempt on his life. And so the only way he could protect himself is to appeal to the emperor. He's a Roman citizen, so he could do that. What that means is he has to appear before the Roman emperor. So he's in chains. He's arrested. And now he does make his way back, uh, and he gets to Rome, not as a missionary, but as a prisoner. But Paul's always a missionary. So he's alive two years there preaching the gospel, and then they kill him for his faith. So that, that's how he gets to Rome. But nonetheless, while he's in Corinth for three months, he does write this letter to the Romans in A.D. 57, is roughly when that was written. So the result of all that is that what we get in the New Testament is this gem in scriptures, all about the radiant gospel. And that's the history. And if you haven't caught yet this morning, I'm throwing a lot at you. Because there's a lot I want you to have in your pocket as we set this book up. Because what I'm going to do next is we're going to shift out of the history now. I'm going to show you the introduction to the book. Because we just had Valentine's Day, right? I don't Do kids still fill out, you know, those little tear-off perforated and you give one to everyone in your class? And on all of them, they have two blanks, from and to, right? From and to. You remember those? From and to. Okay, that's an introduction. And that's what you get at the beginning of this letter. You get from and to. So Paul starts out with the from. Here it is in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, 
including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's a mouthful, but that's his introduction. So usually when I give an introduction, I would say something like this from Rick. (laughs) Paul gives a whole lot more and I'm going to step on the gas here for a moment and and work through some with you just to show you how loaded this thing is. So for example, he says that he, Paul is a servant of Christ called to be an apostle. What's that mean? Well, it means that he was set apart for the gospel of God. That means the radiant gospel. Do you see how quickly Paul got to speaking about the gospel? Like that, he's on top of it. And so he says gospel, which, and now he's just going to go off about the gospel for a little bit. He says, which was promised in the Old Testament. Paul will, in the book of Romans, quote the Old Testament 61 times from 14 different books. That's a lot. We're going to see one this morning. But the point is that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures are prophesying toward the coming Messiah. They're setting up the need for it, the foreshadowing, the longing, the pain, the anticipation. And then finally, finally, you turn the page from the Old Testament and you get into Matthew's gospel. Finally, here he is, the son of God. It's about the son of God who is the focus of all history, the focus of all existence. He is the radiant one. In fact, what it tells us about the gospel, did you see it there? The gospel is concerning his son. What do we get from that? Listen closely. The gospel ain't about you. You thought the gospel was about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's giving him glory and pointing to him. And so what Jesus did to accomplish it, we see it right here. He took on flesh a descendant of David according to the flesh. So Paul has now put the incarnation in there. Well, but is Jesus a farce? No, it's proven by his resurrection from the dead. Well, how did that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit made that possible. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, which means in his introduction, Paul got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in there. The Trinity is on display. Sneaky little devil. I mean, like it's loaded. And then, then he, what's he say about Jesus? Yeah, Jesus is God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now we have the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. So you have the hypostatic union right there, if you know what that means. And then he gives us this phrase, the obedience of faith. Now that's a weird phrase because we, we usually think of those as two separate things obedience and and faith. But what he's doing is he's teasing us. He's setting up the whole book, which is going to be about righteousness by faith, not by works. That's, That's coming. But that's the radiant part. And it's so radiant then that he wants to get it to all the nations. All the nations. It's supposed to radiate out of us. Let loose the gospel. Now notice something. Paul doesn't say much about Paul, does he? Like if I give an introduction and and, and I'm going to say, hey, uh, this is Rick, uh, and I'm supposed to give a paragraph about that. Uh, Well, Rick, I'm the lead pastor of Redemption Chapel, married to Shannon, a father to Caleb and Madison, and uh, I'm also a chaplain in the Stowe PD. I like riding my motorcycle and kayaking and and brewing my own beer. And I'll, uh, I'll give you all these details. You know what you just got? Rick, 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 Rick. Not what Paul does. Paul sticks his name in there and pivots hard and fast and talks about Jesus. And the point is this, Paul uses his story to tell Jesus' story. 
Hint, freaking hint. Okay? He uses his story to tell Jesus' story, and that's what he's doing. And that's just the from. That's just the from. Now we get to the two. I included the end of verse 6 again in, in verse 7 as well. He said this, including you who are called to belong to Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we see there? Well, we see that we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Also that we are loved by God and called to be saints. Ooh, hold on, pump the brakes. What's it mean to be a saint? Now, I'll just be straight with you. The Catholic Church has gotten this dead wrong. Biblically, a saint is no one special, except that it just means a true Christian, one who by faith in Jesus has had Christ's righteousness put on them. Therefore, they are perfectly holy. They belong to Christ based on his righteousness, not ours. Stay tuned. Romans will be very clear about that. Okay, so I shoved a lot at you quick. Here's one thing I want you to catch. Who did what? If you look at verses 1 through 7, who did what? Here it is. God promised. God came. God died. God declared. God empowered. God rose. God called us to belong. God loved. God called us to be saints. God gives grace. God gives peace. What would you do? Oh, there's an answer to that. You sinned to make it all necessary. That's what we did. It's all about God and what he did. And then in his glorious grace, he called us. In fact, look at this. Called us out of death, called us to life, called us to faith, called us to belong to him, called us to be his beloved, called us to be his saints. It's the radiant gospel. It is beautiful. It's huge. All of this is the radiant gospel. Now, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. I think you knew that. But, but you gotta understand news is different than instruction. News is about what somebody else did. Instruction is about what you need to do. And the old covenant was instruction. Try harder, work harder. And then now the gospel comes on the stage and it is radically different. It is about what Jesus has already done for you. And that is why you can have grace and peace. With the old covenant, there's no grace and no peace because you never know if you're done, you've done enough. You gotta try hard to keep working. Now we have good news about what somebody else has done. It's not instruction. Though it should definitely change us. We have the radiant, radiant gospel. And it's based on God and not upon us so that we have grace and peace. This is good news. It's stunning. It's beautiful. It's radiant. It's radiant. Love the gospel. Live the gospel. Let loose the gospel. (laughs) And again, all this is just the introduction. It is so loaded. It is so packed. One of the reasons why is because uh, this letter from Paul is, or sometimes they're called epistles, it doesn't read like a letter. Remember, most of the letters are written by Paul to people he knew. He planted the church. He'd been there. In this case, he doesn't know them. He's heard some Jew-Gentile things. I'll put that in. But but he doesn't. So this really reads more like an essay. Uh, it's his longest, most systematically reasoned letter. And it's all about the radiant gospel. 
I told you I'm throwing a lot at you today. What we've done so far is we've done the history and we've covered the first seven verses, the introduction. What I want to do with the rest of our time, I want to jump ahead to verses 15 to 17 because I want to show you the heart of Romans. This is his thesis, and here it is. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what do we see there? Again, I'm throwing a lot at you, so I'm going to do the underlying thing. But one of the things you see is, uh, well, back up for a second. He, he is eager, if you see at the top there, he's eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Been there, done that. I know it doesn't look like me because uh, I keep changing my look. But, but that's me. Uh, back in 2013, Shannon and I had the opportunity to go to Rome on a mission trip. And she caught a picture of me sharing the gospel with a guy down in the old city. Uh, and then we next day we did stupid stuff. Uh, right? So, so we, we're, uh, there's like all, there's statues all over. They're ancient. Some are crumbling, torn down. So we found two that were removed. I'm like, Hey, let's do this. I could not get Shannon to not smile. Like, listen, here's how this works. It wouldn't, it just never took. So there it is. But Paul, Paul is eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Why? Cause it's the radiant gospel. Love it, live it, let it loose. And so that brings us to verses 16 and 17. And this is, uh, again, the thesis. It is dense, it is loaded, it is packed. I'll tell you this, for the next 16 chapters, Paul will simply unpack these verses right here. So let's see what we can do with them today. First of all, of course, it is about the gospel. It's all about the gospel, the radiant gospel, the good news. But why is that good news? And it's good news because it is righteousness by faith. That's what he says there at the end. Can I give you a hint? God's righteousness is a little bit better than yours. Okay, a lot of bit better than yours and way, way better than mine. And so, so what we're, listen, our righteousness is the problem, not the solution. The solution isn't that we try to be more righteous. That's the problem. Romans 3 will say there is none righteous. No, not one. Jonathan Edwards would wonderfully say, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Mic drop. It's not about our righteousness. So it's God's righteousness that justifies. So so if you think about God's righteousness, that plus our unrighteousness, that's the problem. That's the bad news. So it's not just that God is righteous, because again, with our unrighteousness, that puts us at risk. But instead, what we're talking about now is a righteousness transfer by faith. That he transfers his righteousness to us. And so that's why he says, the righteous shall live by faith. Sing quotes, because go figure, Paul is quoting the Jewish scriptures there out of Habakkuk. So his, God's righteousness then leads us to living, not dying. And that is the radiant gospel. It is precious. It is powerful. It is unique. It's different from all world religions. All world religions, unfortunately, including the Christian religion at times. 
All world religions are humanity's attempt to be righteous enough to appease God, to earn his favor. Only in the Christian gospel do you have God coming to us to give us righteousness. It's entirely unique. It's a righteousness transfer where our unrighteousness went off of us onto Christ on that cross. And his perfect righteousness came onto us. And that's why we're okay. We didn't earn it. It's by faith. So there was a seminary professor that wanted his budding little theology students to understand this point. So what he did, the final exam, he made it impossibly hard, like ridiculously hard. And everyone in the class failed. So they all got together and invited the professor class meeting and they are ticked. And, and so the professor says, listen, the exam was entirely fair. There's nothing on the exam that I didn't cover in class. In fact, I myself took the exam and I got 100%. Or you could just imagine the groans and sighs and the choice words muttered under the breath at that comment, right? Rolling the eyes. But then the prophet said this. He said, listen, if you will admit that the test was fair and that you actually deserve the F that you got, if you will admit to that, if you will admit that you need to pass the test in order to pass the class, in order to get your degree, and if you will admit that I'm your only hope. If you ask me humbly, I will take my grade and put it on your grade card. The, the theology class was about the salvation in Christ. The prof was teaching the whole time and they got it. They got it. That is righteousness by faith. It is a transfer. And, and, it, and it works. You know why it works? Because he says the gospel is the power of God. Now, the word power there is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get dynamite. Dynamite didn't exist back then, but, but power, it's really powerful stuff. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's not your power. It's not about what you do. That's not powerful. It's about what Jesus did, and that's the radiant gospel, and it's way powerful. It's the most powerful, precious thing in all of human history. It has the power to right your broken relationship with God. It has the power to give you new life. And it has the power to save you. In fact, about salvation, that's in there. Power to save you. But then we got to say, wait a minute, save us from what? Because this is where we get off track sometimes as the body of Christ. This is what we're not saying. It's not just that you pray a prayer, a sinner's prayer, and you get your fire insurance, your get-out-of-hell-free card, and then you go do whatever the heck you want. No. That's not it. Actually, what it is about is about resurrected life. New life now. A restored relationship with God right now. It's not just grace, but it's also growth now. It's freedom It's holiness, it's redemption, it's real life, true life, the life you were made for. It's being like Jesus now. And so if one prays the sinner's prayer and then tells God to go kick rocks, that ain't it. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is love God, trust God, submit to God. That's why I say you're God and I am not and I'm a mess and I need you and I want you. And that's faith. 
And that, if you have that, it will change your life. And so when we speak of salvation, we got to speak about from and to. Usually we only catch the from part. You're saved from something, you're saved to something. Yes, we are saved from sin and separation and damnation and condemnation and hell. Yeah, fire insurance. But we're also saved to something. We're saved to new life in Christ. It is a package deal. Yes, there's gradual change. It's progress. It takes time. I get that. But that's part of the package. And you get from and to together or not at all. Both or neither. From and to. And maybe this is why Paul wants to, listen carefully, he wants to preach the gospel to Christians. What? Yeah, that's what he's doing. The gospel is not just the intro message of Christianity that you quickly move past. No, no, no. The gospel is Christianity from start to finish. Such that growth in Christ is growth deeper in the gospel, understanding the gospel, applying the gospel that irradiates in us and out of us. That's Christianity. It changes us. And that's good news. And you know why? Because we're a mess. And we need that. Not just some sinner's prayer 20 years ago. We need them now. <laughs> After all, why do, you, why do you think Paul is eager to preach the gospel in Rome? Do you think Paul wants to get home to glory and say, hey, God, great news. I got a lot of Gentiles in Rome to pray the sinner's prayer. Now, I mean, it had no impact on their lives. I mean, they didn't become worshipers and disciples and missionaries. No change in in any of that way. But 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 they did, you know, they prayed the prayer. They came forward. They raised their hand. They they got baptized, whatever. You think that's what Paul wants to say? Or does he want to get home to glory and present to God a church in Rome that is radiant and glorious and beautiful? It's like Jews and Gentiles who usually fight with each other. They're in one church and they're worshipers, they're disciples, they're missionaries. They love the radiant gospel. And you see that reflected in this phrase right here, from faith for faith. Literally that phrase means out of faith into faith. So yes, it starts with faith, but it goes deeper by faith. It's not just some prayer you prayed long ago, but a life of faith going deeper in the gospel. And so I want you to know this. A true Christian never graduates from the gospel. A true Christian never graduates from the gospel. But admittedly, it does begin by faith. I mean, look, he says in there, this is to everyone who believes. Okay, but we got to be careful with that. Well, I believe in God. Oh, yippee, skippy, good for you. You know, Satan believes in God more than you. So this belief actually means faith. It's trust. It's submission. It's love. It's repentance. That Satan doesn't have. And that's what we're called to. Of course, the everyone there implies both Jew and Gentile. And so, you know, he emphasizes that to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what he's doing there is he's honoring the Jews' place in redemptive history, that they were the chosen first. And they gave us the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, from which Paul will quote a ton. And they gave us the Messiah, right? Remember, he is descendant of David according to the flesh, which means right now Jesus is Jewish. 
Judaism is the cradle of the gospel. However, the Jews aren't okay with God. Actually, all are condemned. We're going to see that. And all need the gospel. So there is one plan of salvation and there is one church. And he'll be clear about that. There is one path of salvation. It is the radiant gospel. And understand this. this, Folks, this is what life is all about. Here's what's going to happen this week. You're going to have a fight with your spouse. One of the kids is going to be sick or in trouble at school. The car's going to start making a noise. You got tensions at work and you're going to forget. And you're going to focus in on those things. And what we need to do is zoom out and remember that our greatest problem has been solved. There is a holy God and we are cosmic rebels against him headed for hell. But God. Jesus is the righteousness of God. He's revealed in the gospel. If we put our faith into Jesus, we receive his righteousness covering our grossness. And that's how we live. It's not just how we start living. It's also how we continue living. Never graduating from the gospel, always going deeper in the gospel into relationship with God, freedom, growth, and being like our Lord Jesus. That's what we want. But here's the cool part. We do that as secure, loved, adopted children who have been graced. We're not obeying in order to be loved. That's not good news. No, we have been loved. And now we're loving him back and growing in obedience by faith. We're secure in Christ. That is a radiant gospel. And because of that, what Paul's going to say is he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, why in the world would any Christian ever be ashamed of the gospel? And yet at times we are. Look at this quote from Michael Bird. He says, the gospel manifests God's death-defeating, curse-reversing, evil-vanquishing, devil-crushing, sin-cleansing, life-giving, love-forming, people-uniting, super-uber-mega-grace power that results in salvation. Why would we ever be ashamed of the radiant gospel? Are you? We aren't. Listen, this is it. This is life. This is reality. This is eternity. This is what you were made for, the radiant gospel. And the children of this world proudly own their stuff, their half-truths and full lies and filth and depravity and path to death and destruction and distance from God. And we feel ashamed of our gospel? Why? Why? Listen, when all the lemmings are rushing for a cliff, the one that turns around first is not crazy. Even all the lemmings will say he's crazy. No, that one's right on. No matter what the others say, don't be ashamed. I got to admit, as Christians, we're weird. Let's just be honest. What we're saying is the secret to life is some Jew that lived 2,000 years ago. That's weird. What we're saying is that back in Israel, 2,000 years ago, there was a virgin who gave birth. (laughs) Really? Uh, Oh, yeah. there's more. Uh, Gave birth to a God-man. 
Yeah, that's it. And, and he grew up to be crucified as a criminal, and he's the secret to life. Oh, but it's okay because he rose from the dead. Because that happens all the time, right? Rose from the dead. Yep, that's what we believe. And, and through him, and only through him, can you be reconciled to God. That's crazy. Unless it's true. And here's what I want you to catch this morning. I want you, as a Christian, to fish or cut bait. If it's true, we should be unashamed of the gospel. If it's not true, why are you here? Fish or cut bait. It's true or it's not. And the thing is, it is true. It's the radiant gospel. It radiates gloriously. It radiates in us. It radiates out of us. I want you to love the gospel. Live the gospel. Let loose the gospel. We get so distracted. And I want you to zoom out and remember what life is all about. In fact, let me end with an example of a woman who has done that recently. Um, This dear sister of ours in our congregation has recently been diagnosed with ALS. If you don't know, that's Lou Gehrig's disease. You can Google it and look it up if you're not familiar. If you are familiar, you know that's just horrific. She will quite soon probably be in a wheelchair. Unless God intervenes miraculously, there's no cure for it. It's a terrible end. And so we as elders uh, gathered and anointed her and prayed over her, um, asking God to move, not only on her life, but for her family. The family's devastated. can only imagine. Prayed for them. After the time in prayer, I, I grabbed her real quick just to let her know how encouraged I am by her faith in the midst of it. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, Pastor, if just one person comes to faith in Jesus through my ALS, it's worth it. Are you kidding me? Think of that. Her future is bleak in a human perspective. And she's saying it's absolutely worth it. Why? The radiant gospel. She gets it. This is a sister of ours who understands the radiance of the gospel and I'm praying that I could be a little bit more like her and you too. So let me pray for that. Father, we as a congregation, of course, pray for our sister and lift her up before you along with her family. (laughs) But dang it, Lord, we pray that we could be more like her, not less. That we, that Father, we would just be in love with your radiant gospel, that we would get it, that we would just love it, live it, and let it loose. Take us there, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.